I want to speak this morning, continuing on the topic that we started last week on complacency. Really, complacency is a curse. The curse of complacency. Do you hear that, how strong that word is? The curse of complacency. Complacency, complacency. I spoke last week about the how it has befallen on American churches. Complacency is not something limited to any particular territory or geographical region. Complacency has fallen on the Americas in general. Probably any educated church. Probably it's fallen on the European countries as well. Uh, complacency, it is definitely something that we need to deal with because as we spoke last week, really, uh, if you look at the definitions of complacency and the definition of being a Christian, a complacent person, based upon the definitions of smugness, self-reliance, a self-centered attitude, a, com a uh, comfortable attitude, all of the definition words that go with complacency do not match up with being a Christian, which is Christ-like, a follower of Jesus, love, mercy, compassion, thinking of others before thinking of yourself, always in the, in the presence of God. A, a complacent Christian is really a misnomer if we're really going to be true Christians. Now, in the America world, that kind of defines Christianity. Complacency defines Christianity when we, took it, when we look at it across the Americas and other educated countries. And I'm here this morning not to bring a, a word of judgment, not to bring a word of condemnation, not to bring any type of feelings of I'm not good enough, I'm not, good, I'm not cutting it. That's not the point of this discussion. It's not the point of any of this. It's the point of understanding what it is so that we then can learn how to deal with, with some things that are befalling us. So that we can know what it means to move on and, and be encouraged that there's so much more for us. Complacency, as we spoke last week, is the church's worst nightmare and the devil's dream. Because the devil loves complacent people. The devil loves people that are not working the devil loves an idle mind. My dad would always say an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Anybody that's not moving forward is not moving in a good direction because the devil has an opportunity to play in that idle mind. Complacency is idleness, and that's the devil loves complacency. So how this morning we're going to talk, we're going to talk this morning on how we defeat complacency. One of the ways that we defeat complacency is through praise, worship, and prayer. And I combine the three together, praise, worship, and prayer, because praise leads to worship, which leads to prayer. They're all kind of fitting together in, 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 a, in a unit, in a set. Praise, worship, and prayer are the ways that we defeat complacency. And as I went through this week, I was continued to be challenged on this topic and, and felt that we really needed to dig into it one more time so we could understand the importance of developing a consistency in our prayer life, in our personal quiet time, that if you have one, fantastic. Develop it. Maintain it. Protect it. Don't let the devil steal from it. If you don't have one, then develop it. Put it in place. Make a decision today that you're going to begin tomorrow or even later today, you're going to establish 
a personal quiet time, a personal prayer, praise, worship, and prayer time with the Lord every day. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and why that's so important that we do that today. But as we started the service off, I think one thing that helps us do that is when we can understand and realize that no matter what I'm feeling, whether if I'm happy or sad, if I'm rich or poor, sounds like a, sounds like a marriage covenant, doesn't it? No matter what I'm going through right now, Jesus is still sitting on the right hand of the Father because it's finished. He's still sitting there. He's interceding for us. That's what he does. He's interceding for us because our work is still to be done. But he's worthy to be praised. When I can get that picture in my mind, it helps me break through my personal complacency. It helps me break through my struggles of my desire to pray, my desire to worship, my desire to praise him. When I can get in my mind's eye what Jesus is doing and what, God's hap- what God is doing and what's happening in the throne room and understand that no matter what's happening in my life, God is worthy to be praised. Amen? Thank you. (laughs) I was waiting. I thought somebody might agree with me sooner or later. But that's really true. When I can understand that, it's, it's it's like going outside on a really, really cloudy day, a really dark, cloudy day, and understanding that the sun is shining as brightly above the clouds as it is on a cloudless day, as it is today. There's not a cloud in the sky, how beautiful and bright it is out there. The sun doesn't stop shining because the clouds come. The sun is still shining above the clouds. The clouds are distractions that block the sun. That's like the issues of my life. It's like the it's like the, the discouragements of my life. It's like those people that come in and feed negative into my life. Those are the clouds of in my life. The sun the Heavenly Father, the Son of God, is still worthy to be praised regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of how cloudy my life is. Jesus is still worthy to be praised just like the sun is still shining above the clouds. Don't ever forget that. But understand, though, that when we understand this, when we get to this understanding, this is when we know we're hitting the devil is when we start having problems in our praise and worship. Understand the devil does not want you to praise and worship God. He does not want you to do that. And I'll tell you why he doesn't. Because, see, he used to be the worship leader in heaven. Years ago, many, many eons ago, he was the worship leader of heaven. He was the bright and morning star. He was the one that led all of heaven in praise and worship to God, his creator, who at that time he worshipped. All right, now he's fallen. And now he wants the worship. See, he thinks he can place himself up to God's standards. And that's what he has done. And that's why he was, that's why he was rebuked. That's why he was kicked out of heaven because of the pride that entered into Lucifer, who now became Satan, the deceiver, the devil, the enemy, the destroyer of our soul. Now he wants our praise. He wants our worship. He does not want us to worship the Lord. That makes him angry for two reasons. Number one, because it reminds him of what he gave up. And number two, it's because what he wants. He wants the praise and worship. 
So sometimes praise and worship can be difficult. And understand that it can be difficult because you're in a warfare, because you're getting into the place where the devil doesn't want you to be. Understand that. That doesn't mean stop. That means keep going. And it also is not a burden for you. It's not a burden for you. It should not be considered a burden for you because Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this about burdens and yokes. He says, chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, God doesn't ever place anything on us that would be a heavy burden. So if you're getting into, if you're struggling with praise and worship and prayer, and it becomes a burden to you, understand that's not God. God would never put it on you and then make it a burden. The burden comes because the enemy is battling you because he does not want you to move into praise and worship and prayer because he wants that for himself. And I'm here this morning to tell us all, me included, that, that it's not about us. It's not about me. When I can learn to love Christ the way that I should love Christ, praise and worship becomes a pleasure. Because when I love somebody, I want to please that somebody. When I love that person, I want to please that person. When I love Jesus, I want to please Jesus. His word tells us that, doesn't it? In John chapter 14, if you, ha- if you love me, you will, obey what I, you, will, you will obey what I command. If you love me, Jesus says then you will obey me. So really, maybe if we're struggling in some areas, maybe we should go back and check our love. Maybe we should go back and check, are we really what we say we are? Are we really committed to what we say we are? Bless you. Our level of work, or our commitment to work, doesn't change how much God loves me. God loves me unconditionally, whether I'm the vilest sinner or Billy Graham. It doesn't change how much God loves me. All right? His love is unconditional. I can't earn God's love anymore, and I can't have God not love me any less. It's not about what I do. God loves me so much, but even with God's love, God's love isn't enough until it was put into action. God's love was put into action through Jesus Christ. When he sent Jesus to be our sacrifice, then God's love was proven to us through Jesus. And then as God proved his love through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, that then makes the difference. That's the thing that I can, I can go to then, is that Jesus is my sacrifice. He is my perpetuation of my sins. He covers my sins. He takes my sins away. So the action or the proof of God's love is the action of Jesus. 
Now, if God has to prove his love to us some way, doesn't it only make sense that I need to prove my love back to him in some way? See, if God had to prove his love through Jesus, then my proof of my love through him is obedience, is doing what he says I should do. It means putting myself down, putting him first, putting him at the center point of our life, putting him at the focal point of our life. That's my proof of my love. That's not works that earns love. That's my proof that I love. And I think that's the, that's the difference for me then. It's the difference for you is the love that I have for Christ is proven. The difference maker is then I extend my work. I bear my fruit as a result of his love. So how important is God's love? Well, it's all played out for us. It's all played out for us in Scripture. It's all played out for us. And I'm convinced that those that struggle, those that struggle with having an understanding of God's forgiveness or struggle with worship and praise and prayer are those that really don't understand the true sacrifice that Jesus made, the true amount that he paid the penalty for us, and that they don't, re- they don't understand, or we, not they, we don't understand the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Because if I really understood that, if I really grasped that, praise and worship would flow out of me naturally. It would just bubble up out of me. And I see that because I read in Luke chapter 7, verse 44 through 47, about, an, about a story of a, of a woman that was not a good woman. <laughs> she was a woman of the world. She was probably a prostitute. Not a God-fearing woman. Not a woman that we would want in our home. But let's see what happens when she understands the forgiveness of Jesus. It says, beginning in verse 44 of chapter 7 of Luke, Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much... But who has been forgiven little, loves little. Do you want to see complacency defined? Simon was complacent. Jesus was in his house. Okay? Jesus is in my heart. Jesus was in the house of Simon, but Simon was complacent in how he reacted to Jesus. Jesus, Simon didn't wash his feet, which was a custom of the day, because he had sandals. Dirty ground, dust, dirty feet, just a common custom. You would wash the feet of your guests. Simon didn't wash his feet. He didn't give him a kiss. He didn't react to Jesus. But yet here's this woman who has been forgiven of a sinful life, forgiven of a life that is of ill repute, forgiven of a life that makes her 
less than a person probably in that time, and Jesus receives her, and he forgives her. And because of that, of that much that she has been forgiven for, she is loving him back more. See the difference between complacency and loving because you understand how much you've been forgiven? You've been forgiven much, you love much. Been forgiven little, you love little. Now listen, every one of us in here, I don't care who you are, I don't care, I'm not I'm talking to myself, not one of us here deserves heaven. Not one of us deserves to have God's faithfulness. Not one of us deserves to have God's blessing. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short, and we all need to have Jesus. And when he comes into my life, no matter if I have one sin or a host of sins, when he wipes that away, he's doing something that I cannot do on my own, just like those Old Testament priests, Dick, couldn't do on the sacrifices. They were just a temporary atonement, but they were not the covering. They were not the doing away. Jesus comes in and he does away with my sin. Therefore, I need to get rid of my complacency regarding that and be like the woman and, and just adore and worship and fall on Jesus. I need to lean in to Jesus. I need to press into Jesus. I need to, to seek him with all my heart, knowing that he has given me something I couldn't do on my own. And when I can grasp that concept, when the American church can grasp that concept, things will change. This country will change. Our community will change. But until, as long as we're like Simon, a complacent host, there's no power there. There's no authority there. There's no changing there. In fact, I think if you really go down to the negative side of it or the reality of it all, you'll find that it will be detestable unto God. Because it says in his word, and I'm not going to read it now, but it says in his word that you bring religion spirits to me, you bring sacrifices to me that are not what I desire, they're detestable to me, says the Lord. And I don't want them, I will reject them. If you don't come with a true heart of worship and, and prayer and praise, will be rejected by him. So my encouragement here is that we would enter in and understand the significance of this. Now, this is a personal thing, by the way. As we talked about already, as the Lord already made known to us, this is a personal thing. This is something that you have to do for yourself. I cannot do it for you, neither can your spouse, neither can your parents. You have to do this yourself. You are, this is a personal journey. This is a personal level of commitment to, to defeat complacency in your life. And how do we do that? We do that as an example given to us in, chapter, in John chapter 15, the first eight verses of it, where Jesus is talking about being connected to the true vine and understanding that, that Jesus is our source. Let's read that and then let's talk about that a little bit. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Okay, so now remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone bears, if, I'm sorry, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Our Christian life is just that. It was just described to us as how we have to take the personal responsibility to stay connected into Jesus. Having a connection into the fruit or into the, into the trunk of the tree as a branch gives us two things. It gives us the branch strong enough and stable enough to bear fruit. It gives me a sense of stability in my life because I'm staying connected to Jesus. And it gives the fruit the necessary nutrients to develop. A branch taken off of a tree does not die immediately. It doesn't show outward death immediately. You cut a branch off and the leaves still stay green. The fruit is still good fruit. But that branch has already started the process of death. If it doesn't stay connected to the source, that branch will wither. The leaves will get brown. They'll dry up. The fruit will dry up. It will die. It's important that the branch stay connected. How do we as Christians, how do we apply this to our life? How do we as Christians stay connected? Do you stay connected through a religion? Do you stay connected through a mantra? Do you stay connected through a trance? How do you stay connected to Jesus? Somebody tell me, how do you stay connected to Jesus? All right? Spending time in worship, reading the God's Word. Do we have a responsibility in that? Then why is it so hard for us to do? I'm saying it because I struggle with it, guys. Listen, I struggle with it. Four or five years ago, I was sitting in your seat, and whenever I preach, I always put myself in your seat thinking, how would I react to this? <laughs> how would I react to it? I need to be challenged in myself. Why don't I get into God's Word more? Why don't I spend time more in praise and worship? Why do I give God my leftovers? If it's so important to stay connected to the vine, if it's so important in my life to stay connected to Jesus, why don't I? Why do I listen to the devil? Because the devil wants to come and cut us off. Now, Jesus is also, or God is also a gardener. God is also a pruner. But when he prunes, he comes in and he prunes off the dross. He prunes off the stuff that is a hindrance to me. Like in Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. See, God comes as the gardener and says, That right there, it's not necessarily bad, but it's a hindrance to you. Let me cut it off. Let me, let me get it out of your life. That TV show that you're watching, not necessarily bad, why don't you spend time in prayer? Why don't you put the TV down, pick up the Word of God, and read the Word of God? You know that extra 10 minutes you want to sleep in the morning? Why don't you get up a little bit earlier and spend time in prayer? 
I know I'm hitting close to home. I know that. But it's for your own good. It's for my own good that I say this stuff. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm here to encourage us to see God is trying to prune our lives. And when he prune, what happens when you prune a tree? What happens to the tree? Is it good for the tree? Does a tree bear better fruit? So why would the tree then be upset when the gardener comes to prune it if it's going to make the tree better? So when we have the challenges that come to our life about complacency and, and understanding, and, and the worst thing we can do is to say, I'm not complacent. The worst thing we can do is deny complacency. Anybody here would raise their hand and say, I'm doing everything I can for the Lord. I can't do anything better. I am maxed out for Jesus. Can anybody say that? And I'm not saying that critical. I'm saying it truthfully because I can't say it. Therefore, then, let me recognize my complacency. Let me recognize my sin in my life and let me then take my sin and my place and let me crucify my flesh. Let me sacrifice my flesh and then let me do the things. Let me let God prune my tree of my life so that I will develop and produce good fruit. Amen. This is good. This is a positive word. This is encouraging because when I can understand that, I let him prune. And yes, it's painful. Pruning hurts. It's not fun to be disciplined. It's not fun. But the Lord says, I, those I love, I discipline. He loves you. He disciplines. He prunes. He cuts. He takes away. But he always adds more. Whatever he took away, he will always bring back with more. He'll bring back with blessing. He'll bring back with assurance. He'll bring back with peace. He'll bring back with promises that he can keep. God never makes a promise he can't keep, by the way. So when he brings a promise of God's word, when he brings a promise to you, he will keep it. Complacency, complacency. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? See, complacency is sneaky. Complacency doesn't come in uh, and say and, and says to you, "I'm a complacent spirit. I'm coming into your life. Move over." That's not the way complacency comes in. Complacency comes in through an unawareness in our life. It comes in through a seemingly lack of need in our life. It's a lack of appreciation for the sacrificial love that God gave for us. Complacency sneaks in. Complacency comes from a false sense of security, maybe through the blessings that God has given us. Think about this. Think about this. God has blessed us, hasn't he? Hasn't he blessed us with nice homes, nice clothes, and cars, and food? But that false sense of security that comes through God's blessing can be our worst curse because it can bring complacency in our lives. I, I think of, I remember, I'm just coming off two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, I was at YWAM, so I'm still pumped up, okay? <laughs> I'm still pumped up over the experience of YWAM, but I, I think of my daughter right now that's in Nepal, and I think of the other ten teams that are others scattered around the world, to West Africa and all the other places in the world. See, and they're going into areas that don't have what we have. And there is a hunger there. There is a desire there for something to come in to replace or to give them sustenance. 
we have so much. That so much is a good thing. I'm not saying we should get rid of that so much. But I'm saying that we shouldn't let that so much replace our desire for God. When we let that so much that we have replace that desire for God, you know what it becomes? Idolatry. We put something that we have, something with, that we've made with our hands, something that we bought with our money, something that we earned with our time, and we put that over top of the Creator. We let the creation be more important than the Creator in our life. That's idolatry. That's complacency. That's the death of our church. That's the death of you personally. That's being cut off from the vine. Complacency sneaks in. It's dangerous. It's deceptive. It replaces the source of our continuing nutrition. It replaces the source of Jesus in our life because we let complacency become our source. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, number one, we determine in our mind, we determine as a man and as a woman to remain connected to the vine and protect that source of nutrition for our life. All right? It comes with your decision. Again, this is not this is not works based. This is you choosing, you making the choice, me making the choice to put Jesus first. It requires my choice. It requires your choice. It's not going to come by itself. How do we do that? We do that with a decision. And then we do it through continuous praise, worship, and prayer. That we do it through praise, worship, and prayer. That's how we do it. That's one of the ways that we can make sure we stay connected to the vine because we, we propose to keep that relationship fresh. We don't let it scab over. We don't let, skin it, we don't let it skin over. We don't let it become um, dry. We keep the relationship pure praise, worship, and prayer. And why does it seem so hard sometimes? Because we are in a battle. The devil does not want us to praise and worship. He does not want us to have that relationship with Jesus fresh. He wants to make it dry. He wants to make it complacent. Go read Ephesians chapter 6 if you want to know about the battle that we're in. We do this through the battleground of spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, After we've put on the full armor of God, which is said earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Did you hear that? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So when is it appropriate to praise, worship, and pray? First Thess Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, or verse 17 says, pray continually. You want to memorize the verse? There you go. Pray continually. You've memorized the verse today. Pray continually. Always let prayer flow out of your mouth. 
It's never a bad time to praise, worship, and prayer. There is never an inappropriate time to praise, worship, and prayer. Is there a better time? Well, I don't know. Let's think about this just for a second. See, it, we're, we're instructed in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So let me talk about just briefly, is there a better time to praise and worship than a bad time? When I relate sacrifices, and there's a whole lot to talk about, we're just going to skim it here. But when I relate sacrifices in the Old Testament, when Jesus said bring a sacrifice, what did he say about the condition of that sacrifice? What did he say about the condition of that lamb? Was it a runt? Was it something that was blemished? Was it something that you could really do without? Or was it the best? It was the best, wasn't it? When the Old Testament law said bring a sacrifice, they would not accept a blemished lamb. It had to be a male, and it had to be of best quality. All right, now let's go back to what it said in Hebrews about bringing a sacrifice of praise. Is there a better time to praise? Is there a better time to pray? Well, I don't know about you, but I know that my life has a tendency to prioritize things. And I prioritize what I want to do. What I want to do, I make sure I get done today. So I would say, for me personally, I'm talking about for me. This is my time. I'm a, morning, I'm a morning person. I like the mornings. For me, the best time for me to pray is in the morning. Because I'll tell you why. Because if it doesn't cost me something, it's not much of a sacrifice. And I'm not saying we have to get down in the face. I'm not saying that this is, has to be a burden. I'm not t- we just talked about how God takes, give, takes away our burdens and our yokes. Gives us a light yoke. But I'm telling you, though, I think that if we think that we're just going to wait and pray at the end of the day or when I have time, that's not much of a sacrifice. That's like bringing to the, to the chief priest a blemished lamb and say, you know what, when I have time, if I get to it, I'll pray. The best time to pray is when it costs you something. The best time to pray is when you have to sacrifice for it because it's meaning that, God, I'm putting prayer, worship, Praise, worship, and prayer over what I want to do right now at the moment. It's costing me something. I would rather do this. I would rather sleep in. I'd rather watch that TV show. I'd rather go hunting. I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather go ride my bike. I don't care what it is, but you know what, Lord? I feel an urgency to pray, and it's a sacrifice of prayer, and I'm going to bring it to you right now because it's a sacrifice. That is when it becomes productive because that's the first fruits. Now, let me tell you something else, because I don't want to make this hard, because everybody can do it. But here's another time that you can praise and worship and, uh, praise, worship and pray, and that is when you're walking to the grocery store, when I'm uh, walking between classes, when I'm walking in the parking lot. It doesn't make any difference. See, whenever I have a free time, I can just start praising the Lord. I can say, thank you, Jesus. I can pray. I can pray. I can speak in tongues. I can pray my heavenly prayer language. I can just pray, God. I can pray continually. And that's not hard. That's not a burden. That's, not a, that's an easy thing to do. 
And here's another thing we should do. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. When you have your personal prayer times, use your voice. Speak it out. Speak it out because of this, because the devil cannot read your mind. Sometimes you need to put him in his place. Sometimes you need to say, devil, you have no authority here. I'm taking control over you by the power of the blood of Christ. And devil, I'm commanding you to leave this situation. See, you have to speak it. If it's just in my mind, he doesn't read my mind. He brings influence to my mind. He can bring distractions to me. He can bring a, a, a negative influence, but he cannot read what's going on up here. God can. Yes, I can pray to God silently, and, and it's appropriate most of the time to be prayed silently. It's okay. It's appropriate. If you're in a business meeting, it's better you pray to yourself than start speaking in tongues. Okay? If you're in a business meeting, if you're in the middle of class, kids, you know, it's better you pray to yourself. All right? It would, you would get in trouble. But when you're by yourself, speak it out. You speak it out. You take authority personally in your life, in your situation. You take authority with your words and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Devil, did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said, devil? I surrender my life to Jesus. His blood covers me. When God looks upon me now, he sees the blood of Christ on my life. He does not see a sinner. He sees a man saved by the blood of Christ. He sees a righteous man covered by the blood of Christ. So, devil, do you see who I am? I'm a righteous man, devil. I'm a righteous man, and I know you have things against me, and I'm telling you right now, devil, you have no authority in this because I am claiming victory over you because Christ defeated you, Satan. And when you pray that way, that gives you authority, that gives you power, that gives you results. You're productive. That's a good thing, and we all have that ability. It's all within our grasp. All of us have that. I don't care how old or how young you are. The fruit of lips that confess his name. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips. Use your voice. The fruit of lips that confess his name. Lift up your voice and speak aloud. So as we summarize this, as we wrap all this together right now, we recognize, first of all, that Jesus is worthy of praise, right? Let's go back to the beginning. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God because it's finished. Amen? It's finished. He finished it. He won. There's no more battle for him. He won. It's finished. That's who he is. I have a relationship with him because of my relationship staying in the vine. So now when I develop a priority of praise and worship, complacency can be defeated in my life. Can be defeated in my life through this connection of the source of my spiritual nutrition. It's completed. Therefore, I have growth. Growth becomes a natural occurrence in my life. Good fruit is produced as a result of my life. Good things happen to people that stay in the presence of Jesus on a continual basis. So now, as, how do we apply this for this week? As you go out this week, set aside some time of worship and prayer and praise. Protect it. Don't let the enemy steal it from you because you know he wants to, right? So if he wants to, don't let him. I mean, that's just basic common sense. 
If a big dog was going to bite you, would you let him? I mean, if a dog came up was barking and going to bite, would you let him bite you? No. The devil's a barking dog. He wants to bite. Don't let him. So the next time that you have this urgency, or maybe you don't feel like it, but you know you should, put the TV down. Get up early. Spend some time, whatever it is. I don't know when it is for you. I'm not telling you when to do it. I'm just asking you. I'm encouraging you. I'm pleading with you to do it. Thanks, Jackie, for reading my mind. So that's so important that we would take control. Don't let the devil push you around anymore. Don't let him have that control in your life, young or old. Don't let him push you anymore because you are the righteousness of God. Because you are the king's son and the king's daughter. And we need to get excited about this. We need to let our our praise and worship become excited and we we need to express ourselves. We need to be an expressive person to Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How much godly influence do you want in your life? How much power do you want in your life? How, how complacent, how, how comfortable are you? How satisfied are you with your praise, worship, and prayer? And let me ask you the most important question. Is God satisfied with it? Is God satisfied with what you bring him? Is he really satisfied with your praise and worship and prayer? What will Jesus say at the end of the day? Oh, Father. Will he say, well done, thou good and faithful. Well done. You did the best you could do. You weren't perfect. I didn't require perfection. I required a relationship. I required a heart that sought me, that, that leaned in towards me. I required that, and you gave it. Therefore, I'm pleased. I want you to just take that, if you would, take that this week. Put that somewhere in your Bible. Put that somewhere in your mind that that when you have that time, that you spend it productively with Jesus. Spend it productively with the relationship-building opportunity. And don't let the devil steal it from you. Amen. If you just close your eyes with me and just do a little self-examination of your own heart. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just help us, Lord, to see. Help us to examine our own life right now in Jesus' name. Lord, if there's anything in me that needs to change, I pray that you change it. I give you the authority, Jesus, to change my life. I give you the authority, Holy Spirit, to create a desire within my heart to praise, worship, and pray. 
takes time. One thing that you can be assured of, it's going to take time. It's going to take an effort. It's going to take a dedication. It's going to take a commitment. And you're going to have to be willing to put in the time to do it. Lord, I pray that you would help us carve out the time in our life. Lord, we're busy. And, I mean, I'm not denying busy. I don't, and I'm not even saying busy is bad. But, Lord, I just pray for all of us right here that are in this room, that are hearing this word, and I pray that you help us carve out time in our life. I pray, God, that you give us that carving tool that we can say, I got to stop this, I got to stop that, I got to stop that. And I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. Not in a legalism, in a sense of appreciation. Lord, I pray, help us, Jesus, to find that quiet time. Help us to find that devotion time. Help us to find that personal praise, worship, and prayer time. Let's just sing this song and worship him a little bit and we'll go home and worship him at home in Jesus' name.